a lot of it, again, is all about longevity, not intensity. So as you start to get older, uh, respect the body, respect what it tells you, work on your regenerative and uh, restorative uh, practice, because I think that is what's going to keep the engine running uh, uh, for a long time. So here's the question. How do runners like us remain active, get stronger, and heal from injuries without being told to stop running and create a healthy life for ourselves so we can continue to hit PRs well into our 40s and 50s? This is the question, and this podcast is the answer. My name is Dr. Dwayne Scotty, physical therapist, running coach, and creator of Spark Physical Therapy, where we help active adults be able to run without aches and pains so you can feel good about yourself again. Welcome to the Healthy Runner Podcast. All right, welcome and thank you for tuning in to episode 57 on the Healthy Runner Podcast. And we are live within the Healthy Runner Facebook group talking about how to just keep running if you have knee arthritis with Dr. Frank Petrilliano or Dr. P as he calls himself. So the doc is going to um, talk about knee arthritis, especially in the early stages today. And just to give you a little background, he is an associate professor of clinical orthopedic surgery and chief of the Epstein Family Center for Sports Medicine at Keck Medicine of USC. He serves as the head team physician for the LA Kings hockey team and team physician for USC athletics. Dr. P, surgical interests include arthroscopic surgical uh, repairs, knee ligament reconstruction, cartilage repair and transplantation, and elbow ligament reconstruction. His research focuses on developing stem cell-based therapies for the treatment of muscle and cartilage injury, and he has received numerous accolades, including the Charles S. Neer Award for, from the American Shoulder and Elbow Surgeons for his study on the role of fibrosis in rotator cuff muscle regeneration. Dr. Petriano, I knew I was going to mess that up there. Sorry about that, Frank, has authored over 100 articles, chapters, and peer-reviewed publications on the shoulder, elbow, and knee injuries in athletes. So guys, that is a lot. That He is very, very accomplished, very, very productive in his scholarship. Um, so welcome to the show, Dr. P. Thanks for having me, Dwayne. It is absolutely a pleasure to be on tonight. Uh, I am an East Coast native, as we discussed, so uh, this is like a uh, connection to my my roots. So it's a lot of fun to be on with you today. Um, just a little bit of brief background and why I'm so passionate about this. Uh, you know, I grew up an athlete. Uh, I played baseball and football uh, through college, and uh, as a part of that, running has always been a very big part of my uh, existence. And uh, now it continues to be a part of my workouts, but um, it has to be a part of something that is a, a holistic approach to fitness. And I want to discuss that tonight. You know, I do a lot of other things besides run, and that includes interval training and yoga and surfing and mountain biking, but running remains a very big part of it. And as a clinician, uh, one of the major challenges that I deal with are people who are my age, mid 40s, maybe a little bit older, who have knee pain and maybe early arthritis in the knee. And how do I keep those athletes active without surgery? Because there aren't that many surgical 
options for this. So we're going to be able to touch a little bit on that as well. But thanks again for having me tonight. And uh, I'm excited to answer uh, questions from the audience and talk to you a little bit about what we can do to stay active uh, into the golden years. Oh, this is such a treat. And it, it just really aligns, honestly, with our podcast and our Facebook group, because it is all about trying to stay active and run into our 40s, 50s and beyond. So I know the information that you're going to be able to share with us tonight is going to help so many people in our community. So thank you again for coming on. And for those of you who are jumping on here, what we're going to be talking about tonight is Dr. P is going to educate us all about what arthritis is and what treatments are available for you as a runner that can help keep you active doing what you love. He is going to answer some common questions like, if I have arthritis, does running accelerate its progression? What are some strategies to reduce knee pain associated with arthritis, especially during running? Can a running analysis be helpful? How does location of arthritis in the knee affect management? If I need a knee replacement, can I run after a knee replacement? And then also as a runner, how do I prevent knee arthritis? So Dr. P, let's get started with our dynamic warm-up. This is the first question we ask all our guests. Um, so you gave us a little brief introduction um, that you're on the West Coast here, but tell us all kind of where you're from and what do you do now? And you can share some of your uh, running and uh, athletic journey as well. Fantastic. So I grew up in northern New Jersey, Bergen County, so right outside of Manhattan. And uh, I basically did all of my education on the East Coast. So I went to college at Cornell and medical school at Rutgers in New Jersey. And uh, then I discovered California. And when I came out here for residency, I did my residency at UCLA, I, I realized I was never, never coming back. So I transplanted my parents and uh, we have a huge group of friends out here that are all East Coasters. And I do miss it. I miss the seasons. I don't miss the freezing cold, though, Dwayne. I have to tell you, I see those pictures of you on your <laughs> Facebook page, and I am terrified when I look at how cold it is. But uh, I, I do miss everything else. And uh, right now, I am the chief of sports medicine at USC and the head team physician for the LA Kings. And as part of that, uh, I obviously have a, a busy surgical practice uh, operating on knees, shoulders, elbows of athletes, uh, but I also have a research lab. And the research lab has uh, one singular focus, and that is to bring regenerative therapies to the forefront. So uh, right now, the majority of what we work on is using either stem cells or small molecules uh, to regenerate uh, damaged cartilage and damaged muscle. So two of the things that all aging athletes have to deal with. And uh, it's a very big part of my career. Uh, and we can discuss it more as we start to talk about therapeutics. But I really do balance my uh, clinical practice with a uh, research focus. And I have great collaborators and supporters who I get very excited on uh, working on this stuff with because um, we really think we could touch a lot of lives with it if it, if it comes to clinical marketing. No, I think that is fantastic. And coming from someone who also is a professor at a university. It is very tough to balance clinical life, academic life, research. And it sounds like you are doing, like you are juggling it all and um, you are doing a lot. And I love that you're not only helping out with the teams and you're doing surgery, but you're also doing the research. And I think that just really complements um, everything that we do, right? If you do have your hands a little bit in all of those 
then it makes your clinical practice more evidence-based informed. Um, and I'm sure your surgical practice, you're always keeping up with the latest techniques as opposed to just doing, you know, what you learned in school and you're doing that same surgical procedure and technique for like the next, you know, 40 or 50 years. Um, and, so that's fantastic. And it's fun. You know, you work with trainees. So we have like 30 residents in the USC orthopedic program. Uh, we have two sports medicine fellows each year. And these men and women keep you on your toes. I mean, they, they are fun to work with in the OR. They keep questioning you and why you do things and why you're not progressing or changing your strategy for stuff that doesn't work. And one of the issues that we really have right now, and it's an unsolved question, is early arthritis. I mean, if you're old and active and sedentary, a knee replacement or hip replacement or shoulder replacement for arthritis, great options. Uh, they relieve pain. Uh, they restore some function and they're uh, almost the most effective surgeries that there are of all surgical subspecialties. But when you're a 40 year old or even younger with arthritis, those aren't always options. Uh, it, at the end of the day, it's still an artificial joint. So the things that we started questioning in the lab were, okay, well, is there any way to get cartilage to slow down, if, the injured cartilage to slow down this degenerative process? And we also looked at on the muscular side as well. So the lab really focuses on harnessing our own stem cells and um, biologic programs that exist naturally and modifying them, tweaking them uh, to slow down the degenerative or degenerative process so that we can remain active over time. And uh, there's stuff that is actually on the horizon. It's not too far away, which is exciting. That is very, very exciting. And I'm looking forward to honestly learning more about this myself during this episode. Robert wants to know, will this apply to osteoarthritis of the hip? What's your, what's your take on that, Doc? Absolutely. So the, the goal is to start this uh, therapeutic agent. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about when we get to injections, but this is going to start in the, in the knee. And that's where we're going to get clearance for a clinical trial. And I'm sure most of us are very familiar with clinical trials now after uh, this um, virus uh, after the um, vaccine uh, development uh, channel, but we're we're at the pre-IND meeting with an intervention for early NEOA. So this would be a phase one, a safety trial for a single injection of a small molecule for early NEOA. And obviously, if that shows efficacy, if that works, if people have benefit from it and it's safe, it'll go through that clinical trial and then eventually be applied to hip and shoulder arthritis as well. Um, it's also being studied for things like TMJ, because this is a, a very debilitating disease and is basically a form of early osteoarthritis. So I think it's gonna have a role in a number of different um, anatomic locations. All right, so Dr. P, your colleague, Dr. Gene Techmeister, did a phenomenal job educating our community on the truth about running and it being bad for your knees in episode 42 on the Healthy Runner podcast. But now that we know that running does not cause arthritis and it's not bad for your knees, based upon all the evidence that Gene presented and he shared with us, if I have arthritis now, does running accelerate that progression? So this is probably the number one question I get from runners with early osteoarthritis in their knee. And I'm sure Gene shared with you the fact that it seems that running may have a protective effect in the normal knee. So if you look at marathoners and people who have a history of running, they actually have a lower incidence of arthritis than 
uh, the non-running population. And there's probably a lot of factors for that. But let's move beyond that. Let's talk about somebody who has some arthritis in their knee. Uh, is it safe for them? And I'd say it depends on a number of factors. The first is the degree of osteoarthritis. So if it's, you know, quote unquote, mild arthritis that maybe only affects a small area in the knee, then it's much more likely to be safe and also less painful than if someone has global osteoarthritis in their knee. So if you have the quote unquote, bone on bone arthritis, you probably shouldn't be running because all of the natural cushioning in the knee is uh, gone basically. But if you have mild arthritis or arthritis is localized to one part of the knee, uh, running can be safe. Um, some of the factors that affect that are your constitution. So body weight is very important. If you're obese or large and larger than, you know, you should be, <laughs> it can affect running, right? So there's a lot more mass hitting the knee. Thin runners can usually tolerate uh, running a lot better and arthritic change a lot better than heavier runners. Your body posture also affects your ability to tolerate knee arthritis. So if you have hyperpronation of your feet, a lot of ligamentous laxity, poor core control, uh, poor hip control, your ability to um, compensate and allow you to run with early osteoarthritis is going to be a lot less than someone who's got a very strong core and works on some of the fine tuning of the small muscle groups to allow them to run. And then finally, the most important thing is probably other pre-existing injuries. If you've had a torn ACL or if you've had a meniscal surgery where part of the meniscus is removed, uh, that's removing one other layer of shock absorbent absorption from the knee. So people who have had large meniscal resection or a lot of previous knee surgery, those are the ones I push away from really making running their number one activity. And we really work to uh, develop a cross training uh, program for them that'll allow them to do some running, but substituted with other activities. Yeah, that makes sense. So it really depends upon a number of factors is what you're saying. And it might depend upon the runner situation from what I've heard uh, you mentioned is body weight. Um, how much protective cushioning is in the knee. So if you've had that previous uh, meniscal um, removal, manisectomy, we call that, um, where they kind of clean up the knee area, debride the surfaces. And if your kind of biomechanics are off, so your technique is off, whether it's due to muscle weakness or just anatomical variants, right? Uh, how we're structured. Um, so it, that will vary is what you're saying. So now what are some strategies to reduce the knee pain associated arthritis, especially during running? So we go through a series of, I, I think these are called first steps for most patients that have uh, some knee pain. So generally this does not just happen overnight, right? So you've been running for a, a long time and your knees gradually start to become more painful with running to the point that eventually you're coming in to see me because either you can't run or the running distances have dropped off tremendously. So we usually get a set of x-rays and establish uh, if you have severe arthritis or mild arthritis. And if we need uh, anything further, maybe an MRI to evaluate subtler grades of osteoarthritis. And then once we've determined the degree of osteoarthritis, we talk about the things that you can do to just reduce some of the symptoms with running. Uh, the first thing that I tell patients is let pain be your guide. If the pain is zero, one, or two when running, 
and you can do your normal distance, that's probably reasonable. If it starts to escalate to a three, four, five out of 10 or more, then you need to figure something out to, to minimize that. So reducing the distance and intensity of runs is one of the first things that I'd recommend. So if you're running five miles, three or four times a week, maybe you want to cut it down to three miles, three or four times a week and see if that improves your symptoms. Um, I often prescribe orthotics for patients, especially hyperpronators, uh, custom orthotics, not off the shelf, and insurance companies will pay for most of these. They will help supinate the foot. They also add another layer of cushioning, which helps quite a bit. Running surfaces are huge. You know, if you're pounding on asphalt all the time, that is inherently a much less forgiving um, surface than wood chip, running track, sand, et cetera. So if you have the availability of different running surfaces that are a little bit more uh, gentle on your knees, I absolutely recommend using them. Physical therapy plays a huge role, uh, I think, in correcting, especially people who have poor, um, yeah, poor muscular control of their core and of their, uh, their hip external rotators. There are such small muscle groups that we ignore. And people are telling me, oh, I work out all the time. Like, well, you, you do, but you're getting strength and bulk in the wrong places. And what you want is conditioning of small muscle groups so that when you go on a longer run, they don't fatigue and put you into bad biomechanics. Uh, and the other thing I recommend is cross training. So if you're strictly a runner and runner running hurts, you have to start to mix other activities into your training profile, whether it be swimming, elliptical, cycling. Um, I particularly like yoga for runners because I think increasing your flexibility is very protective for injury, not just knee arthritis, but sprains, strains, et cetera. And Pilates is very good too, because it really hammers the core. And, and then the last thing is anti-inflammatories. So there are a range of different anti-inflammatory strategies. Most people are very familiar with uh, Motrin, ibuprofen, Aleve, et cetera, over-the-counter anti-inflammatories. And they're actually great. If you don't have high blood pressure and your kidneys work normally, uh, taking anti-inflammatories on a semi-regular basis can really dampen the inflammatory response, particularly if you've had a flare of pain in the knee. For pain, and in California, a lot of patients, they, they don't want to take uh, anti-inflammatory medications for a variety of reasons. So I do encourage the use of things like turmeric, uh, cumin, um, as well as just an anti-inflammatory diet, which uh, can include reducing processed sugars, processed grains, alcohol, caffeine, because those things can uh, promote just generalized joint inflammation. So you can attack it from a, a variety of different angles and I think um, reduce the symptoms associated with, with running. Wow, that is fantastic. I love all of those strategies you shared. Uh, some of those you're preaching to the choir here in our community because they've heard many of this before. And in fact, I love that you mentioned about the smaller stabilizer muscles, like the hip rotators, because that was one of the big things that I added in kind of my spark blueprint, five tips for healthy running um, is strength train in order to run and specifically running specific muscles and the five key muscles. One of them I gave to the external rotators and the hip being the anti-pronation muscles and the stronger those are, they're going to help you know, prevent some of that pronation down lower. So I love how you mentioned that. And the other thing that I really love about the strategies you shared is that 
you save the anti-inflammatories to the end. And that wasn't the first kind of line of defense. And I feel like for some folks out there who are in pain, that's probably, I find at least, uh, maybe the first line of defense people jump to. And I like that you mentioned that there are other strategies that you can utilize prior to doing medication to help kind of mask some of those symptoms and decrease the inflammation, as you mentioned. Absolutely. I, I'm not against them. As you know, you know, I think a lot of people can benefit from proper anti-inflammatory management, but it, it can't be the very first thing that you do because <laughs> for most people, they don't want to take anti-inflammatories forever, right? So if you have a flare, that's something you can manage for weeks to maybe a few months on anti-inflammatories. Uh, but there are a lot of other boxes to check that may be just as effective. And ultimately, um, for most non-operative conditions, and early knee arthritis is a non-operative condition, it takes a combination of pharmacologic agent and physical therapy to put water on the fire and allow you to uh, calm that joint down. And I tell patients, this is like a, a forest fire, right? So if you can put the anti-inflammatories and PT on them and reduce the inflammation to the point that you extinguish all the embers, great. And sometimes the pain doesn't come back. In other cases, you continue to have flare-ups and you have to be ready to tamp them down with these strategies. I love it. I love it. Now, what are your thoughts about the benefits of a running analysis? When do you recommend that to some of your patients? Um, I think anyone that really runs regularly and is having difficulties, pain, et cetera, uh, and they, they're doing PT, this is an adjuvant that they should explore. First of all, it's not that expensive to have a running analysis done. And now they're uh, available in almost any major metropolitan area. And it can be done by a physical therapist. It can be done by a sports performance guru. I mean, there, there are a lot of different people that do it. Um, but I think it has a lot of value. And uh, by looking at yourself run on video, on a treadmill and, or if they're doing 3D analysis of your, of your motion, it's a real formal analysis. You can look at foot strike. You can look at your hip position. You can look at your sort of like torsos carrying angle and having that visual feedback on what you need to correct to improve your running form is super valuable. Like, I don't know if you're a golfer, but you go, you, you hit the ball and you get a, a golfing analysis and you see what the issues are with your swing. It becomes much easier to correct those when you know exactly what the coach is talking about. And having someone help you, a running coach, to eliminate a lot of these biomechanical factors helps quite a bit. And you don't have to have a running coach forever, but to go out for a few sessions and get those tips, just like if you're a golfer, for me, I, I like surfing. So I have a surf coach who, you know, we go out every couple of weeks and he just gives me a few pointers. Um, it makes a tremendous difference. And it helps not only with your running form, and your times, but it probably alleviates pain too. So I think it has a lot of value. Um, you don't need to spend, uh, you know, a, a fortune on it, uh, and you just have to find somebody reputable, usually through word of mouth and groups like this, who uh, uh, who does good work and who's honest in their appraisals. Absolutely, and you know, I, I would echo that sentiment that a lot of times you don't even, you probably will not need unless you are, you know, really competitive kind of runner and you want the top of the line, you know, getting the 3D analysis within the biomechanical lab, 
you know, most good running PTs out there, if you find a good running PT, like all of the runners that I see when they come for an evaluation, I, and now with our phones, it's so easy, right? You just get a straight shot, them running straight toward you and I'll get the sagittal plane. So I'll get a side view as well. I like to take them outside. So we do that outside. If they are running on the road, if they do typically run on the treadmill, then obviously that's easier to take video on the treadmill, but with slow-mo as well on our phones, it's really easy to actually see some of these biomechanical flaws. So if you, if you guys are listening to this and you have a good running PT in your area, they will most likely look at your movement and they will most likely look at your running because those are the things that we look at that help dictate our evaluation and know what muscles we should be testing, what other movement screens that we use that are specific to runners. So I would highly recommend that you um, find a PT who works with a lot of runners because then you'll get that certain analysis, especially even if you don't have access, you're not in a metropolitan area where you can't you know, go to a, um, one of the higher tech labs and get like a full analysis, a printout and find exactly what's going on at every angle, um, at every joint in your uh, body. So I, I find those valuable too, is just analyzing the biomechanics. And I love getting videos from my therapists uh, of patients who are going through these either just straight PT for an injury or these running analyses, because uh, you really see these big differences from pre and post treatment. And it gives the, the runner something to hang their hat on. They know they're making progress. You know, they see the improvements on the video and they feel the improvements in their body. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, positive feedback that comes from um, these type of analyses. And like anything else in life, you need a little bit of direction uh, if you want to improve. So not only is it better just for your running, but it also helps uh, with injury prevention and pain control. Absolutely. Love it. Love it. So now the real estate market right now apparently is booming um, with everything going on. It's at least over here. I don't know what it's doing on the West Coast, but I know over here, I just had uh, a real estate appraiser in my office and he said his business hasn't been any busier than it is now. So we know location, 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 right? So does location matter in terms of effectively managing knee arthritis? And that, that's exactly right. So it's all about location. So there are places, the knee has cartilage on all the surfaces, right? And the major weight-bearing parts of the knee, there's two of them. Tibiofemoral, so that's thigh bone to shin bone, and then patellofemoral, kneecap to femur, thigh bone. Those are the two areas that see the most force in the knee. And the symptoms that a patient will have, an athlete will have, and the treatment vary depending on the location. So patellofemoral arthritis or arthritis between the kneecap and the thigh bone is much more symptomatic in climbing and descending type of activities. So people that do a lot of hills or stair climbing will have significantly more pain with this type of arthritis because the kneecap gets driven into the front of the thigh bone and that's what generates the pain. Flat ground running may not be that painful. But any type of attempt to hike uphill or run uphill or uh, do stair training can be quite painful. Conversely, tibiofemoral arthritis, which is the arthritis between the shin bone and the thigh bone, much more common. And that's the type of arthritis that most people get knee replacements for. And that will hurt with flat ground running, uh, particularly as you get more and more worsening grades of osteoarthritis. 
So for patients who have patellofemoral arthritis, I generally tell them, even when they have slightly more advanced disease, flat ground running is probably safe for you. Um, and I would just avoid strenuous climbs and also descents because those are what are gonna stress the knee the most. Uh, tibiofemoral arthritis, that's when we start to utilize a lot of the strategies that I discussed earlier, uh, particularly orthotics, soft uh, running surfaces, et cetera, because that's gonna reduce the um, cushioning effect or improve the cushioning effect between the tibial and uh, femoral um, joints. Tibiofemoral arthritis is also uh, the one that's affected by cartilage injuries such as meniscal tears. So runners, I mean, meniscal tears are very common in runners, particularly people who not only are long distance runners, but anyone who's doing a sport that requires direction change, you can tear your meniscus. And if you've had a meniscal surgery, um, and especially if they've removed, the surgeons removed a fair amount of the meniscus, that increases the contact forces between the thigh and shin bone, and it can cause further breakdown of the cartilage, the weight-bearing cartilage, the uh, hyaline cartilage of the knee. So that's why location is important. And that's why we get advanced imaging to determine exactly where the cause of the arthritis is. And in patients that have advanced arthritis, it may be affecting both joints. And then we have to really uh, kind of think about how we're going to uh, put together a PT program that can unload the patellofemoral joint, but also the tibiofemoral joint. Excellent. Thank you for summarizing that. I think that's super helpful for those that have been told that they have some degenerative changes. You know, I think understanding where and the location, and like you said, you know, possibly altering some of your running, whether you're changing the incline and eliminating inclines or you know, you're changing surfaces. So we can make those adjustments. And I think this really next section is going to be super valuable. We've never really talked about this on the podcast before. And I know RK Moore is on the uh, live stream right now. And she was actually wondering this. She asked a question about cortisone versus PRP and stem cell. And then she also wants to know kind of do insurance companies uh, want the cortisone or why do insurance companies want the cortisone over the PRP? Um, but what types of injections? So now we've kind of moved from some of the initial strategies you talked about earlier, um, and maybe medications aren't really working out, kind of load management isn't working out. And now, and this is where me as a physical therapist, I start to refer to guys like you um, is, hey, this patient is not responding and they're trying X, Y, and Z. You know, what's that next level of care? And injections is that next level of care. So what types of injections are available out there for those that are in this situation? And can you just talk about some of the differences between like cortisone or steroid injections versus some of the um, other things that are out there? Right. So this is exactly where most patients get referred to me, right? They've exhausted at least their physical therapy and anti-inflammatory management, and they're sent to the orthopedist to discuss what else can be done. So I, I tell patients, we break things into three injection categories. The first is steroid. The second is visco supplementation. And the third are biologics. Um, steroids are the most traditional injection for any kind of joint pain. And the way that steroids work is they, uh, they uh, interrupt a inflammatory pathway 
that increases both pain mediators, but the recruitment of other cells to the joint that cause pain. Um, it's a very effective therapy for reducing inflammation. The problem is uh, with steroid injection is that they have a lot of negative side effects. Uh, they can cause hyperglycemia, which is an increase in blood sugar. And really for me, which is more of a issue with young athletic patients is it affects collagen metabolism, which one is, is one of the key structures in hyaline articular cartilage, and it can diminish cartilage turnover. So uh, in a joint where we're trying to preserve the cartilage, we're injecting something that yes, in the short term can reduce pain, but in the long term may, and again, the, the literature on this is cloudy at best, may accelerate the osteoarthritic issue. The other reason I don't like injections in general, corticosteroid injections uh, for young patients is if you're gonna go on to a scope for some reason and you had a steroid injection, the risk of infection is higher uh, after a corticosteroid injection. Um, and uh, there's just a general, uh, I'd say aversion, aversion by most of my athletes uh, to steroids because they know that there are other options now. The advantage to steroid is that it's covered by insurance. And for a single injection of a very painful knee, it probably has the best effect, but I won't inject it more than once in the young athlete. If you're an elderly patient who has bone on bone arthritis and for some reason cannot have surgery, that's another group in which steroids, uh, I think are a little bit more reasonable because the horse has uh, left the barn in terms of arthritic change and uh, the downside of using is much lower. So that brings us to the other two options and they're both biologic in nature. One is visco supplementation and the other is PRP or stem cells. Visco supplementation has been allowed for you know, decades and it is a synthetic hyaluronic acid. Hyaluronic acid is one of the compounds of joint fluid, synovial fluid. It lubricates the joint and it also has anti-inflammatory properties. So these injections can be delivered either in a one large volume single injection or a series of three injections uh, over three weeks. And uh, they, in the short term, provide some additional cushioning. Uh, they increase the uh, viscosity of the joint fluid in the knee and can provide some local uh, cushioning. That gets absorbed, I'd say, fairly quickly. But they, even after it gets absorbed, they have a pretty strong anti-inflammatory effect, very similar to a corticosteroid. So for patients who want to avoid a steroid injection, visco supplementation is a pretty reasonable option. Some insurance carriers will require that you've had a steroid injection and failed that prior to visco supplementation. Other carriers have stopped covering it altogether just because the um, data behind it is not great. It doesn't mean that it doesn't work, but just, there's a lot of cloudiness in the, in the literature. For those patients who can't or don't wanna pay out of pocket for it, I can often send them a prescription and you can buy these medications online in Canada uh, through Canada Drug uh, or some other websites. And it's completely legal. It's about you know, one third the price as it is in the US and your doctor, you know, I'm happy to inject patients with that if they wanna bring that into the office. Um, people always ask, how long will it last? It's completely variable. Some people get no effect. For some people, it lasts you know a year or more. Some people get a couple injections a year. Um, it has a beneficial effect on inflammation, and that's the number one thing. 
There's also a pretty strong placebo effect from these injections. So I tell patients, if it's working for you uh, and it's not breaking the bank, you can keep doing it. It's completely fine. Um, and then the final option is biologic. So PRP became popular probably a little bit over a decade ago, although it's been, again, it's been in use for decades. And uh, it is prepared by drawing your blood through the antecubital vein. And then it's put in a centrifuge and there are a variety of different companies that make different centrifuges. And I don't want to belabor the point, but ultimately it yields plasma, uh, which is rich in platelets. And those platelets have a variety of growth factors and cytokines. Uh, it's, a, it's like a gamish of different uh, healing agents that can act as anti-inflammatories and uh, also work on pain pathways. They do not grow back cartilage. So if anyone ever tells you that a PRP injection is gonna increase the thickness of the cartilage, that, that is complete nonsense. And stem cells are the same thing. You know, They draw blood from either your hip bone or they take fat, it's processed and you're injected with that um, agent. The problem with both of those therapies is that one, they're not covered by insurance. There's no alternative um, source for obtaining them. And they're generally expensive and people will set a market price depending on where they are, anywhere from 500 to like $5,000 for, for these injections. So my instruction to patients is uh, if you wanna do this, just find someone who's reputable and it's not that expensive and know what you're getting injected with. I mean, that's the other thing. So PRP is pretty straightforward. They're gonna draw your blood. And if you're doing anything other than that, run out of the office. Uh, if you're going for stem cell injections, uh, some people will uh, get allogeneic stem cells. Those are stem cells taken from either cord blood or the amnion of other individuals frozen and then resuspended and injected. I, I think that's complete and utter nonsense. If you look at the number of living cells that are actually in those preparations, I don't think uh, there's uh, two. Uh, to split a hair by. So I would not recommend that at all. Your own bone marrow or fat, uh, there are going to be more stem cells, but even the number of cells in those preparations are very low. It's probably the other cells uh, in the preparation that provide some anti-inflammatory uh, effect as well. And um, there's a little bit of a risk of infection from those biologic agents if they're not done in the correct way, especially the allogeneic ones. Those are the uh, ones that come from other individuals. But for the most part, PRP and stem cells, particularly those that are taken from your own body, are safe. So if you're not getting fleeced financially for it, uh, they probably do have an anti-inflammatory effect. But again, they do not grow back cartilage. And uh, you're going to find different opinions with on how many injections you need, how frequently, how often they last, et cetera. And there's very little good science behind that. So we're, we're trying to standardize the nomenclature and the way that the results are reported from these type of injections so we can start to make some sense of it. And I think if you speak to most um, biologics researchers, we agree that they have a, a beneficial effect on inflammation, uh, but we don't know a lot of the other variables that are probably important to uh, getting an effective response from those injections. What do you mean by other variables that are important? So things that you couldn't even imagine, like the time of day that you draw your blood probably has an effect on the number of the cells that are in there. Uh, your age, smoking status, other comorbidities, the type of centrifuge that's used, uh, there are a variety of companies that um, break their spins into something called leukocyte rich or leukocyte poor that basically either they have 
white blood cells in it or it doesn't. And there's some thought that the leukocyte poor might be better for arthritic conditions where the leukocyte rich may be better for tendinopathies. Again, it's conjecture at this point because the clinical studies are not uh, spectacular. Um, so those variables all need to be worked out. And you can imagine how hard that is when there's no reporting. Uh, so we are working very hard uh, to create a sane and reproducible way to just to study biologics right now in orthopedics. And there's a lot of controversy because obviously um, there's a lot of money to be made, right? So you, the people who are doing these injections charge fairly large amounts of money. There's very little risk involved and patients do get some benefit from it. So uh, as an orthopedist, I uh, have a very practical approach and I just tell them, you know, if, if you're not spending too much for it and you feel like it's gonna help you, go ahead. Just make sure you, pour, make sure you work with someone reputable. Uh, if they're charging you an insane amount of money, there's no rationale behind any of that because the cost of the processing is, it's minimal, honestly. Right. Okay. That makes sense. And no, that makes sense to kind of standardize um, the research trials out there, because like you said, moving forward, we're never going to know the efficacy. And if these in fact work, if we're not comparing apples to apples, right. And oranges to oranges, if everyone's doing things different, like that's very common in our, even our physical therapy, interventional literature, same thing. If everyone's kind of treating um, patellofemoral pain, for example, differently, how do we compare, right? If physical therapy works and the interventions, if this person mobilizes, this person manipulates, this person tapes, this person, right? So I, I could see some parallels there and that makes sense to me. Um, and I think that's great what your lab is doing and, and working on there. Um, so thank you so much for honestly um, educating us on the differences between those um, injections. And really what I learned from that is pretty much all three options you mentioned is really looking to reduce the inflammatory effect of arthritis and is not really treating or quote unquote curing arthritis or the cartilage in of itself. Is that correct? That's right. And uh, any claims that uh, there's an increase in the thickness of the cartilage or this restores cartilage or is truly regenerative uh, is, is probably um, false at this time. So that's sort of where our research is headed is that these small molecules that we've developed uh, in conjunction with Dr. One of my very close collaborators, Dr. Zvanko, at USC, and he spent many decades kind of getting to this point, they affect pathways that are essential in the fetal um, development of cartilage. So the molecules that we would like to use for the clinical trials that I alluded to actually modulate these fetal pathways and have the potential not only to reduce the inflammation in the knee, but maybe help with cartilage turnover and preserving the um, wear of cartilage over time. If we could regrow it, it would be incredible. But I think the more, rea more realistic outcome is that it has a chondroprotective or protecting of cartilage effect. And uh, even that would be a tremendous leap forward in the technology compared to what we have available. Excellent. Now, if someone's been told they need a knee replacement, um, can someone run after they actually get a total knee replacement? And I guess like everything else, it depends, right? So 
just to break it down quickly, there are three typical types of knee replacements. There's a total knee replacement uh, where we replace the femur, shin, and patellar cartilage. So all three surfaces are resurfaced. There's patellofemoral replacement where just the patellofemoral joint or uh, knee thigh bone is replaced. And that's very uncommon actually. So that's probably the least common. And then unicompartmental or partial knee replacement has gained a lot of popularity. Um, so runners in particular, especially varus runners will develop arthritis on the inside part of the knee, uh, not always on the outside, uh, especially athletic individuals are often embarrassed. And that can be treated in some cases with a, a partial knee replacement. And um, what I would say is that the traditional teaching, and if you look at the knee society, which is the group of surgeons that do the most knee replacement, they tell you that after joint replacement surgery, you should be doing things that are low impact, cycling, swimming, rowing, et cetera. But you should be staying away from you know, running, football, soccer, gymnastics, et cetera. I think that there has been a paradigm shift. And I think that most very high volume knee replacement surgeons would say that if someone is doing an athletic activity uh, like running and they want to get back into it, if they are not obese and uh, they have reasonable body control and they don't have pain when they're doing the activity, they can go back to it. Ultimately, all of these replacements have a plastic insert in between the two surfaces, which is like tread on a tire. So the more cycles it gets, the more likely that that plastic is going to wear down over time. And we don't know exactly what the number is, but I have a lot of patients and I do a lot of you know, upper extremity uh, joint replacement uh, who go back to playing golf or running or swimming. And we don't seem to see an increased rate of this plastic fitting. So I think people who don't have pain, who have pretty neutral alignment and uh, have good body control can get back to higher impact activity like running. Would I tell you to go run a marathon? Absolutely not. But going out and doing a certain number, small number of miles, three, four or five times a week is probably reasonable. And that should be mixed with other activities such as swimming and cycling and the lower impact activities as well. Um, patients that are of higher body weight, poor, poor biomechanics, et cetera, it's probably not in the cards for them to run after a knee replacement. And things like tennis and golf, et cetera, we've been letting people do that forever. So I think that um, like everything, it takes a little bit of a measured and nuanced uh, counseling for most patients, but for certain individuals, running is, is, is absolutely in the cards. Excellent. And I would even add to that, that it's more important for those that are looking to get back into running to take care of all those little things that you talked about and mentioned before, and that we've mentioned in previous episodes on what muscles to strengthen, the importance of proper training and progression, um, and making sure that you're not doing too much loading um, to the knee itself. And for those point of clarification, for those that um, we're wondering uh, the varus in the knee that Dr. P was talking about. That's just like if you were bow-legged, right? So your knees went out and your feet kind of went in a little bit. Um, we, we do see that in a lot in our athletes that are kind of the stiff bow-legged where that will cause that degenerative changes to the inside part of the knee joint that Dr. P was talking about. So thank you for that clarification. And is there 
now the techniques may be better nowadays, but I remember like 10 years ago, 15, they were really worried about the loosening with loading. Do you know if that's an issue that the prosthesis will actually loosen within the bone um, moving forward? So I think there's always a risk of the prosthesis loosening. Uh, but the fact of the matter is in younger, healthier patients uh, with better bone quality, who the majority of the runners will be, that likelihood is very low. Right, so we see loosening in the obese patient with osteoporotic bone, uh, you know, who uh, is unable to um, have fine control of their basically their extremities. So those are the people you worry about. And then there's other things that you can't control: infection, et cetera, that are completely unrelated to to uh, biomechanical factors. So young patients with good bone quality, they're much less likely to. Uh, have a loosening event. The other thing I would add to this is that robotic surgery has become much more uh, commonplace uh, in today's day and age. So robots are used not only for total knees, but very effectively in unicompartmental uh, replacements. Uh, so a lot of these surgeries are done as an outpatient basis through minimally minimal incisions. And the recovery, especially for partial knee replacement, fairly rapid. And it feels like a more normal knee than a total knee replacement. The kinematics are more normal. Uh, your gait stride, uh, range of motion are all um, better. Uh, could the other compartments wear out and you eventually need a total knee replacement? Sure, but if you get 10 or 15 years out of a partial knee where you're very active in the prime of your life, I think the trade-off is well, well worth it. And the right. indications for that are expanding as well. Nice, so you are still seeing, because I feel like on the East Coast, those have almost fell out of favor a little bit like this past decade, but are you still seeing that on the West Coast that those are still as popular, the partials in the uni compartment? I think that, and I'm, I'm gonna use a proprietary name here, but basically the robotic or Mako driven partial knee replacements have become very popular. And uh, especially in, you know, like the institution where I trained at in New York, Hospital for Special Surgery, there are doctors that do only Mako knees because the alignment is so precise with it for both the unicompartmental and total knee replacement. So I, I think that the technique and the indications are becoming more well understood. And for the right patients, uh, it's the right surgery. The old unicompartmental knees were not great and they used to loosen pretty regularly. The newer ones are much more uh, dependable. Makes sense. Makes sense. So last question I have for you is before we get into our final stretches as a runner, for those who are hearing about knee arthritis and they're like, all right, I don't have knee arthritis, but I, I do know that I want to prevent it because I don't want to have one of the injections or a total knee replacement. What are your best tips for how we prevent knee arthritis? Right. So I think, um, I don't think you can prevent it. That's what it comes down to. And I think that also gets into, you know, what are the, the fallacies out there about running? And you probably touched on this in other episodes, but I, I don't think knee arthritis is avoidable. I think it's caused by acute trauma or genetics or some combination of the two. But if you're a runner in general, continuing to run and maintain a body healthy weight, a healthy body weight and have sound mechanics are probably the best way to avoid knee pain. And if you have arthritis to avoid the acceleration of knee arthritis. So it, uh, it requires just attention to uh, all of the maintenance things that allow us to remain 
active longer. And the thing I, the, the mantra that I, I give my patients is it's not intensity, it's longevity. So uh, running hard long distances forever is probably not possible, but running reasonable distances uh, at a good intensity that keeps you healthy is very possible. So those are the things I encourage with patients. And I always encourage them obviously to do as much cross training as possible and as much body work recovery and maintenance as possible as well too, because those things are uh, not only good for your body, but good for your mind. Uh, the recovery aspect of things is really beneficial, I think, from a, uh, from a mindfulness perspective and uh, subsequently will help with, with the, your running practice as well. Excellent. And that's actually the fifth tip that I talk about for healthy running is like training smart with proper progression. And I think that's kind of what you're alluding to. Um, so your, your uh, PT colleague here from uh, Bergen area has a question for you that he's curious. Um, now, are you seeing any of your older hockey players or players post-retirement dealing with any common changes in their knees as opposed to runners that you help? Hockey is a much more hip-related uh, sport. So we see a ton of hip arthritis in our hockey players. And it's because of this repetitive high flexion of the hip um, that causes a compensatory change in the shape of the hip. And that uh, often leads to arthritis. So I see a lot of hip arthritis in our older hockey players. And knee skating is very healthy for your knee. So, you know, it's really rare that we see meniscal tears, ACL injuries in hockey players. You see a lot of medial collateral ligament injuries. That's the ligament on the inside of the knee from uh, contact that they hit on the outside of the knee. But ACL injuries, fortunately, are, are very rare. And knee arthritis is pretty rare in hockey players as well. Excellent. Well, thank you for clarifying that. And we'll, we have time for one more question here. So I'm going to take a question from Joe, who is wondering, I know you already talked about the use of custom foot orthotics, how you use that in the management. But Joe is wondering, is there any footwear recommendations for knee problems for protecting uh, the knees? I think if you have a good running, like a footwear store that you go to that has, um, I'd say, a reputable staff who are able to look at your foot um, and give you some input onto what styles are best for your foot shape, that's probably the best advice you can get. Currently, the way of the, the current state of the art, there's no specific shoe that's better than one or another. Getting a good running shoe that's meant for one purpose. If you're going to go long distance running, a running shoe is the right shoe. If you're going to have a mixed participation in, let's say, a CrossFit class or a HIIT class, there may be other shoes that are a little bit better that allow side to side motion and um, are not necessarily made for straight ahead running. That may be, may be better for you. But any good high-end shoe with good arch support uh, from any of the brand name manufacturers are generally pretty good for running. Uh, New Balance is my, my recommended favorite, but there's a lot of other ones out there. Brooks is very good as well. And the fact that matters, if you're going to do a lot of running, you probably want to invest a little bit in a good shoe. And you have to change your shoes regularly. So once there starts to be some wear and tear, you can retire those for, uh, you know, running in the mud or something, but uh, keeping fresh footwear and not letting the footwear wear down to the point where it's not having its effect on um, support 
is is probably the best advice I can give you. Great, great tips. Track your mileage, guys. They are so easy on our wearables now. All of our watches, you can input your shoes when you buy them, and then you're tracking them so you know exactly how many miles are on them. Most of the recommendations is you know, 350 to 400 miles. I only, I do 300, honestly, um, when I replace my shoes and I know many other runners do the same. So make sure you're tracking your footwear and more of a reason to see your local running stores, guys. Support small businesses. Um, your local running shops are going to be the experts in fitting you for the proper shoes. As Dr. P talked about, um, you need running shoes and it is based upon kind of your foot type and your mechanics, a good running shoe store, they'll look at that stuff and take that into account in giving the recommendations. And they work with a lot of runners and they get feedback from a lot of runners on what shoes uh, work best for them. So go ahead and support your local uh, running stores as opposed to buying. It is so easy for us to make a click and just hit up Amazon or wherever you're getting shoes, um, but support those local running stores. So Dr. P, we are in the final stretch here. If you could change one thing about the misconception of managing arthritis in runners, what would that be? I think it's that you have to stop running. I mean, I think that's probably the biggest misconception. I think there's so many things that we discussed tonight uh, that can allow you to run well into your older age, even with knee arthritis. And if it turns out that uh, you can't do those things, there are other alternatives such as knee replacement that may allow you to continue to run. So I just think there are a lot of options that are available to, to runners and to athletes in general, and that they have to maintain. A lot of it, again, is all about longevity, not intensity. So as you start to get older, uh, respect the body, respect what it tells you work on your regenerative and uh, restorative uh, practice because I think that is what's going to keep the engine running uh, uh, for a long time. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm starting to feel that myself in my 40s. I got to make those modifications and uh, pay a little bit more attention to the things. And we talked about that in last week's episode with uh, Kerry Tullison um, shared about how those things are important. And so you shared a lot of great tips tonight uh, for those that have arthritis or knee pain. Um, you shared, if you have arthritis, does running kind of accelerate that progression? Um, you, you said kind of, it depends upon a number of factors. Um, you gave us some good strategies to reduce knee pain associated with arthritis. And I love how you talked about like about four or five strategies before you even got to medication management. And then you talked about uh, the benefits of a running analysis. So that was good because we never really talked about that on the show before. Uh, we talked about the location, the different areas that you can have arthritis and what does that mean? And possibly how you would recommend runners modify their training and their running, whether or not they're going to do um, less hill work or whether or not they're going to change the surface of their running, depending upon location, location, location. And you talked about knee replacements um, as well as the injections. So you talked about the three different types of injections that one may need um, or may be beneficial for those to decrease inflammation in their knee. And then I love the tips that you shared on prevention of knee arthritis. Now I'm sure there are going to be many runners who have listened to this and they learned something today. Um, how can they learn more about all the great things that you're doing um, or your research lab and how you help runners? 
if you have any questions, please visit me on Instagram. I'm happy to answer DMs. Uh, you can visit my website, uh, www.drpatrigliano.com. And uh, you can visit the USC uh, orthopedic surgery website as well. Uh, we're doing a lot of cutting edge stuff, not on the research side, but in our clinical practice. And as the chief of division, I'm very proud of what we're building. Uh, we have a state-of-the-art performance center in El Segundo, right by the uh, LAX airport, uh, which specializes in returning athletes to sport and doing a lot of the analyses that we spoke about today uh, to keep athletes healthy and uh, to recover athletes from surgery. So uh, it's an exciting time. It's a great time to be uh, a, an aging athlete because I think you're going to stay active for a lot longer than they did in the past. And I'm uh, just excited to be part of it. That's amazing. This is some great, great work that you're doing. Uh, thank you for all the work that you are doing. And thank you for taking the time uh, coming on our show. For those that are on our live stream here, guys, if you found this talk helpful, just smash that like, hit the love button um, within our Healthy Runner Facebook group, just to kind of show Dr. P some love uh, and that we appreciate him taking time out of his very busy schedule to share his knowledge with our community. Um, thank you again, um, Doc, really for taking the time to educate us all tonight. It's my pleasure, Dwayne. Thanks for the invite and uh, happy to answer any other questions from participants going forward. And I'll be on the um, I'll be on the group frequently as well too to answer questions. So uh, please feel free to hit me up. That'd be fantastic. We will definitely take you up on that. And when you come back to the East Coast to visit, we'll have to uh, meet in person um, one day. Hopefully, after this whole pandemic is uh, behind us. The the light is getting stronger at the end of the tunnel. I would love to do that. So yeah. thanks again. Indeed. Uh, thank you all for jumping on the Facebook Live, or if you listen to this on the podcast, and those of you who caught the replay either within our Healthy Runner Facebook group or Spark Your Training YouTube channel. Remember, every Monday night at 8 p.m., we go live within the Healthy Runner Facebook group. So keep us in mind in your schedule so you can get your questions answered. Thank you again. And remember, stay active, stay healthy, and just keep running. Until next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Healthy Runner Podcast. Can I please ask you for a couple of favors? Can you subscribe to The Sucker wherever you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever so you never miss another episode? You'll be notified when a new episode drops every Thursday. Can you also please leave me a rating and review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts? What I want you to do is to tell them how awesome you are as a runner and then tell them what you have liked most about the show. I love to hear what you have to say. I read all of them and it means a lot to me. If you haven't seen the video version of this podcast, then head over to youtube.com forward slash spark your training and you can see the video version as well as our full video library of exercises that are specific to your running on the Spark Your Training YouTube channel. Also, if you like the content in this podcast, then you will like the community even better. Head over to our Healthy Runner free Facebook group so you can get all the bonus content, blog articles, and get your questions answered by myself and our team of Healthy Runner coaches. The fifth and final thing I want you to do is that you can help this podcast out by taking a screenshot wherever you're listening, whatever episode, and put it in your stories on Instagram and tag me. That is at Spark Your Training. If you do this, I'll give you a shout out and repost it, sharing your running wins while listening to the podcast. 
More importantly, we'll be able to share this information with a lot more runners because that is the goal, guys. We want to get this information in front of as many runners as possible to help them stay healthy so they can stay on the road doing what they love. So take a screenshot, share it on Instagram stories, and tag me in it. You can also find out how I help runners as well as our brand new Healthy Runner Strength Program by visiting our website, sparkyourtraining.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I just love our Healthy Runner family. And remember, guys, let's stay active, stay healthy, and just keep running. Until next time.